and uh, phone calls. And so um, thank you for blessing me through his ministry as well. I know that you have an important and unique ministry here in the D.C. area, and so it really is my honor to be with you today. I was raised primarily here in, in North America, but I was actually born in Tokyo, Japan. I'm not sure if any of you have been to Japan or not. But we ended up moving when I was very young. I married a woman from Japan, and so I'm back on a fairly regular basis. And when I'm back, I sometimes wonder to myself, what would my life have been like if we hadn't moved away from Japan when I was so young? What would my life have been like if I had not only been born in Japan, but also raised there? And I think about all the pressure that I would have been under to get into the right kindergarten. And then the great pressure on me to pass the exam to get into the right elementary school and so on. And eventually the right college and eventually to be picked up by the right company. And so I breathe a sigh of relief as I think to myself, thank God I wasn't raised in such a relentless rat race. But if I'm honest with myself, being raised here in North America, I haven't escaped the pressure to achieve either. So when I was younger, I felt the pressure to achieve in sports, and I felt the pressure to achieve as a student, and then I felt the pressure to achieve when I worked in the corporate world. And this may surprise you, but even as a working pastor, I have felt the pressure to get things done. Now, ambition is a good thing, and D.C. is one of the most ambitious places in the world. But when we begin to feel the pressure to achieve in order to prove that we are somehow enough, life can begin to feel like a burden. And so if you've ever felt the pressure to achieve at school, I'm glad that there are some, some students here, some, some kids, or in your work or in a relationship or in some other sphere of life, then Jesus has some very good news for you. As Jerry read earlier, Jesus says to us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, these words of invitation. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Perfect Father, we pray that through the help of your Holy Spirit, you would enable us to wear the yoke that you have perfectly designed for us so that we might live light and free, so that we might accomplish the purposes that you have for us. In Christ's name, amen. So as Jerry indicated earlier, this morning I want to explore what it looks like to pursue a life of achievement and contribution, but not out of an anxious need to prove ourselves, but out of a place of real peace that comes from knowing that before we do anything, we're already accepted by the one who matters most. And so Jesus says to us here at WCF this morning, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Literally, I will rest you. 
How so? Jesus says, by taking my yoke upon you. Now, when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, I hope it's obvious enough that Jesus is not referring to a yellow egg yoke. That would be sort of messy. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he is referring to a wooden bar that was placed across the back of the neck of an ox, enabling it to more easily pull a heavy load. And so here in this passage, Jesus is comparing you and me to an ox. I know that's not very flattering. If you're an American, most of you are, I'm guessing. You would prefer to be compared to a soaring eagle. I'm from Canada. We Canadians would prefer to be compared to, do you know what our national animal is? Moose? Someone say moose? Good guess. That's the most popular answer. Our national animal is a beaver. So don't say you didn't learn anything today. <laughs> Beavers are not as cool as eagles, but they are industrious and they make pretty, pretty good dams. But Jesus compares us neither to an eagle nor a beaver, but to an ox. Not very complimentary, but apt because like an ox, you and I tend to be weighted down by all kinds of weights and burdens. Now, when Jesus' first century hearers first heard these words of invitation, they would have felt burdened down by finances. They were living day-to-day in a subsistence-based farming economy, and they weren't sure if they would have enough money to feed their family in the coming week. They would have also been concerned about the health and well-being of their children in a first-century world where most newborns did not live to see their 20th birthday. And today, we too can have concerns about finances and the well-being of our loved ones, but we also carry a burden that would not have been felt as heavily as people in Jesus' first century world. You and I can feel the burden of whether we are achieving enough and whether we are enough. This burden would not have been felt as heavily by people in Jesus' day because their station in life was largely determined by the family they were born into and their social circumstances. But we live in a place here in the D.C. area, in the DMV, where we have opportunities, at least theoretically, to rise professionally and socially. But what if in this world that we inhabit, we don't become really successful? We can feel like a failure. And so if you have ever felt the burden to accomplish things and to be enough, this invitation is also for you. Jesus says to you, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will rest you. How so? By placing my yoke upon your shoulders. Now, some of you here may be saying, in order for me to rest, I don't need a yoke on my shoulders. I need to spend some time rocking in a hammock. Or I need a massage, or I need an all-expense-paid vacation to Hawaii and an extra week's vacation on top of that. But Jesus says, no, if you want to rest deeply in your body and in your soul, you need to wear my yoke. Why? Because the yokes that you and I are wearing don't fit us very well. They chafe against our neck. They weight us down. And some of the heaviest yokes of all we wear are the yokes of 
people's expectations around us, and maybe for some of us, the heaviest yoke of all is the yoke of our own self-expectation. And we can get trapped into an if-then kind of thinking. If only I can get admitted into the right school, the right program, then I'll feel okay about me. Or if only I can get hired by the right company or the right government agency, then I'll feel better about me. Or if I can only finally buy a house, I'll feel all grown up. But as Sean Acor, a psychologist who has taught at Harvard, points out, this if-then kind of thinking cannot be supported by science. Because every time we achieve a goal, our brain moves the goalposts as to what success looks like. And so you get admitted to the right school, now you've got to get good grades. The goalposts move. You get hired by the right company or right agency of the government, now you need to stand out in that role. The goalpost moves. You're finally able to buy a house. Now you want to buy a bigger house or a house in a better neighborhood. The goalpost moves. Our sense of being enough is not something that we achieve. It is something that we receive. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings is a movie that is loosely based on the true life story of Jamaica attempting to field their first ever bobsledding team for the Calgary Winter Olympic Games. This is where Julie is originally from, right? In 1988. And there's a scene in the movie where the coach who's won two gold medals walks into a room and he sees that his star bobsledder, Darius, is carefully studying the bob course sled, the, bob, the, the bobsled course. And he feels the weight of the world on his shoulders because Darius thinks, if, if only I can win a gold medal at these Olympic Games, people will finally see me as successful. They'll finally respect me. And the coach who's won two gold medals himself looks at Darius, sees the pressure he's under, and says, Darius, winning a gold medal is a wonderful thing. But if you're not enough without the gold medal, you won't be enough with it. And if we're not enough without the gold medal, whatever it is the gold medal represents for us, we won't be enough with it. Our sense of being enough isn't something that we achieve. It's something that we receive. It's not something that we create for ourselves. It is something that is conferred upon us by another. And Jesus says, if you want to rest deeply in your body and in your soul, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. But what is Jesus' yoke? He's speaking in a metaphor, in a symbol, here in verses 29 and 30. And it's not immediately clear in the text. And when something isn't clear in the Bible, one of the best ways to figure out its meaning is by looking at the context that something was said in. And so if you scroll back five verses, you see that Jesus is celebrating the wonder of his Father's love for him. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have revealed your wisdom and truth, not so much to the best and the brightest, but to children and to those who approach you with the humility of a child. And so Jesus here is, is just exalting 
is celebrating the wonder of his father's love for him. And according to Daryl Johnson, a pastor and New Testament scholar, when Jesus says, put my yoke upon your shoulders, he is referring, Jesus is referring to the yoke that he himself wore, which is the yoke of his perfect father's unique love. And so when Jesus says, I want you to wear my yoke, Jesus is saying, I want you to wear the yoke of my perfect father's unique love for you. I want you to wear that on your shoulders. And as simple as it sounds, when we live with a sense of God's love across our shoulders, it will change the way we move through the world. So let me give an example. A number of years ago, when I was single, I was back in Japan to have a very personal conversation with a friend of mine to discuss something that he was dealing with. And partway through this very honest conversation, the name of my friend's friend from college came up. Her, her name is Sakiko. And I blurted out, you know, I've, I've always actually like, liked her. And he said, well, she's still single and beautiful. You should call her. Like, no, 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 I'm, not, I'm, I'm definitely not here to socialize. So he pulls out his phone and he says, well, you know, she had such a good impression of you. She remembers you. She asks about you. You really should talk to her. So he, he takes out his phone and starts dialing her number. The phone is ringing and he hands me the phone. And I'm like, I, I, don't know what, I don't know what to say. And she answers the phone. And I'm like, hi, how are you? Um, uh, this is Ken. And, and she asks, are you the guy who went to Berkeley? I was like, no, that was Jeff. So she had no idea who I was. She had no recollection whatsoever. And I said, I, I, I don't know if you're free on Wednesday, but uh, would, you, um, would you like to go out for coffee with me? She says, no, no, I'm, I'm busy. And I don't know what came over me, but I, I, I said, uh, I don't know what your plans are, but can you change your plans? <laughs> I wasn't making this calculation at the time, but... I later thought that in Japanese culture, it's very difficult to say no, especially twice in a row. So the cultural norms were working in my favor. <laughs> All things work together for good. And we went out for coffee, and it, it didn't go very well at all. But we did get married. <laughs> no. Not right then and there. I'm glad that you're happy for me. Um, but that's not the point of the story. You wouldn't know this about me, but I am terrified of rejection, especially rejection in romantic pursuit. And so I look back on that experience and I wonder to myself, how was it that I was able to put myself out for potential rejection and humiliation, given my fear of rejection? And I thought, I had been slowly learning to wear the yoke of the Father's love on my shoulders. And when you really feel loved, by God, it makes you a little bit bolder, a little bit more willing to take risks in relationships or in some other areas of life. You travel through the world with a, with, with a bit more daring. And if rejection and failure will still hurt, but you know you'll be okay because you are loved and cherished by the one who matters most. Andrew mentioned that I've written a couple of books. One of them is as Jerry alluded to, called Survival Guide for the Soul. And in this book, 
I list some practices, some simple practices for busy people in places like D.C. that can help us wear the yoke of the Father's love across our shoulders, and it will change the way we live. And so, let me just share a few of those practices briefly with you. I'm a very easily distracted kind of person. At any given time, I can feel like there are 127 monkeys jumping around in my head. And so I find it really helpful at some point in the morning, as I did this morning, to simply sit and take some time to breathe deeply. So breathing in through my nose, deeply, breathing out slowly through my nose. Breathing in deeply through my nose, breathing out slowly through my nose. And then I start to wonder how much time has gone by anyway. So I'll reach for my phone and I'll open up an app. It's a free app called Centering Prayer with a timer. And so I'll set the timer to maybe 15 or 20 minutes. Chime sounds as though a country church was summoning me to pray. Church bell summoning me to pray. And I continue to breathe deeply in through my nose and then breathe out slowly. Breathing in, breathing out. And then I start to think of all the things I ought to be doing my to-do list. So I'll reach for my Bible or maybe a passage that I'm familiar with. And every time my mind wanders, I'll repeat the passage to myself. It's a kind of prayerful affirmation. Be still and know that I am God. Breathing in deeply, exhaling slowly. Distracted again. Be still and know that I am God. To shift the scenery for a moment, I'm from Vancouver. I live not far from the ocean. I love being on the water. I love to sail. I don't own a sailboat, but I love to sail. And there have been times when I've been out at sea, and I've seen salmon jumping out of the water at a 45-degree angle. There have been some rare occasions when I've seen pods of dolphins and even more rare occasions where I've actually seen whales in the distance. And there are times when I'm sitting in the presence of God and I simply feel upheld by this beautiful mystery that upholds me and the whole creation. There are other times when I've been out at sea and I see an empty Coke bottle bobbing up and down, a styrofoam cup that's been discarded, some oil on the surface of the ocean. And there are times when I've been sitting silently in God's presence and anxiety rises up in my heart. Or a feeling of anger, a painful memory, a feeling of envy towards someone. And I lift these up to God in prayer and I feel released of them. I feel lighter. I feel freer. And when the 20 minutes or 15 minutes are done, Time sounds. I open my eyes. And throughout the day, 
not just only in the moment, I feel just a bit more relaxed and a bit more conscious of Jesus and a little bit more aware of the yoke of the Father's love across my shoulders. It really is changing my life. I begin my mornings that way. And then at the end of the day, I pray a 500-year-old prayer called the Prayer of Examine, introduced by St. Ignatius of Loyola. So I open up another free app. I prefer the free ones. Called Reimagining the Examine. And it offers a little bit of music, usually. Uh, it's offering rain, the sound of rain right now in water. It's reminding me of Vancouver, where it's probably raining today. And then it invites me to look back over the last 24 hours and to identify two or three things that I am grateful for. So if I were to do this right on the spot right now, I could say I've been really thankful to have been able to spend time with Andrew and Julia and Ashley and Evan in their home and seeing your great city on bike with Andrew, mostly in some with Julia, seeing the Smithsonian Museum of African American History, which is very moving and disturbing in a good way and inspiring yesterday. And then being with all of you, I've heard a lot about you. It's very special for me to be able to spend part of this morning with you all. So there's my exam on the spot. Now, this sounds ridiculously simple, but according to research coming out of places like Harvard, if you spend three or four minutes a day identifying two or three things that you are grateful for, it will change the way you experience your days. So I've got a colleague named Edlin who was recently in the market for an Austin Mini Cooper. Cars are made in England, we're in Vancouver, and when she was in the market for this car, she began to see cream-colored Austin Mini Coopers everywhere in Vancouver. It wasn't like there were more of them around, of course. It was just that she was primed to notice them. And when you identify two or three things each day that you are thankful for, it will start to seem like more good things are coming into your life, even though that's not necessarily the case. And when you associate those good things with God's love for you, you wear more of the yoke of the Father's love on your shoulders. You start to feel loved and you live loved. And so this is very powerful as well. And then finally, insofar as this message is concerned, a third survival habit of the soul that I practice is Sabbath. I was watching a Netflix show that Andrew recommended on Bill Gates, at least earlier in his career. He didn't believe in Sabbath, didn't believe in ever taking a holiday 365 days a year, working day and night. But part of the gift of the Sabbath, especially in a city like D.C., is that it reminds us that our identity isn't formed primarily by making bricks for Pharaoh, but by the simple and glorious fact that we are beloved sons and daughters of God. We've got a son who just began sixth grade. He uh, turned 11 recently. He's not very productive. Uh, Joey is not very productive. He doesn't make any money, though he loves money. <laughs> at his 10th birthday party, I remember him opening a card in front of his friends at the party, and as he opened one of the cards, out wafted out a cash bill, and he looked at his friend and said, her, her name happened to be Ashley. It wasn't this Ashley, but someone in his class. Thank you, Ashley. I love cash. <laughs> <laughs> loves cash, but doesn't make any. And a few years ago, um, 
he ha- he's pretty rambunctious and rowdy. He was getting kicked out of class a fair amount with some other um, very active boys. But we don't love Joey because you know, he's productive or because he earns money for our household or because he's doing really well in school or not so much. We love him simply because he is our son. He's our boy. And when we pause for Sabbath, we are reminded that we're not loved by God because we're productive or because we're performing well, but for the simple glorious fact that we are a daughter, we are a son of the living God. Sabbath is a beautiful way to wear the yoke of the Father's love across our shoulders. And so I've, I've identified three of the habits in Survival Guide for the Soul. I write about eight of them. And uh, we've brought some copies available. Uh, and uh, we're going to offer some, I think, in the foyer right afterwards. And um, we're able to offer it at our friends and family discount. So at about half the price, so about $10. 100% of all the proceeds from book sales and royalties go to World Vision and to similar missions that work with vulnerable children. I don't receive a penny from book sales. So I was thankful when we were able to give $300,000 away from my first book, and it looks like we're going to be able to give between one and $200,000 soon to World Vision or, or a similar mission from the writing of this book. And I also want to say this. If the $10 price is prohibitive, um, I'd be glad to gift you with a copy. I've got a credit card that works here in the United States as well. And, uh, you know, when I left the corporate world and became a pastor, my starting salary was $200 a month. That was quite a long time ago, and you've got to adjust for inflation. But it still wasn't a lot of money. And on my Sabbath day, I would go to Barnes & Nobles, and I would p- pull off a book off the shelf, and I would start reading. I would sit small and just read, read, sit small. And then when I was done, I would put a piece of paper where I'd finished reading, <laughs> put it back on the shelf, and I'd pray, Lord, don't let anyone buy the book. Then I come back the next week and, and resume reading. And so um, if you're in a place where you can't afford to buy books, I, I'd be honestly glad to gift you with a copy afterwards at the book table in the foyer. Um, let me close with this. When I was making the transition from the corporate world into the world of vocational pastoring ministry, I enrolled in something called the Arrow Leadership Program. Andrew's familiar with this. He's been through it. I was in an earlier class. And... This program called Arrow was founded by a man named Leighton Ford, a significant Christian leader based out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and the brother-in-law to the late Billy Graham. And when we 25 leaders came together for the pilot of Arrow, the very first class, someone later said we were like fighter pilots in the movie Top Gun. We were sort of sizing each other up, our rivals. And I was the youngest or one of the youngest in the class, the least experienced in so-called Christian ministry. And so I was very eager to impress and wow the founder, Leighton Ford. One time in one of the classes, I raised my hand and I was able to summarize an obscure book written by an MIT professor. I was really trying hard. But as a young Christian leader, I, I, I stumbled. I got into a conflict with someone I was working with because of my own immaturity and self-centeredness. I was in a dating relationship where we were struggling to maintain certain boundaries. And here's what I discovered in my failure. That Leighton Ford's... Yeah, I was crying on the inside too. I was like disappointed in me. That was perfect. Oh, here's what I discovered. That Leighton Ford's acceptance of me was not dependent on my performance 
or my ability to contribute to His organization. He loved me just because. Fast forward 20 to 25 years later, we've become close friends. I was with him earlier this past week in Charlotte. And I can honestly say that I feel more comfortable in my skin in the presence of Leighton Ford than I've ever felt before. And it's not that I no longer want to make something out of my life and ministry in part to honor his investment in me, but it doesn't come out of an anxious and desperate need to be accepted by him because I already am. And this is my hope and prayer for you here at WCF. It's my hope and prayer that as far as life goes, as far as God goes, you will just go for it. You will offer your very best. But not out of an anxious need to prove that you are enough, but out of a deep sense of gratitude that you are already enough in the eyes of the one who matters most. Let's pray together. As we have talked and sung about being daughters and sons of God, if somehow that doesn't resonate with you, know that 2,000 years ago, God became a human being in Jesus Christ, died on a Roman cross, mysteriously absorbed your sin into himself so that those sins could be forgiven, so that you could have a new beginning with your Creator. And in your heart, you can say, I don't understand it all, but God, would you forgive my sins and make me your cherished daughter? Make me your beloved son. And he will. And if you've prayed that prayer or if you've offered your life to Christ at some point in the past, listen to these words from Jesus to you. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. So if you feel under any kind of pressure, any kind of burden, if you feel any fatigue, this invitation is for you. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And Jesus says to you, as he calls you by name, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And if you want, you can pray. Jesus, please place your yoke, the yoke of your Father's unique love for me on my shoulders. Place it there now. Help me to live loved. And as you pray that, Know that this is a yoke that will not weigh you down, but it is a yoke that will lift you up. It's a yoke that will set you free. So receive it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.